Unity Water is proud to sponsor this podcast series because we believe great news, great solutions and great outcomes deserve to be shared. See what we're all about at unitywater.com. You're listening to the Australian Water Association's podcast series. I'm Hazel Flynn. Carp are a major problem in Australian waterways. And with me to talk about the implications of using a viral solution to deal with the carp problem, I've got Joe Perra, water quality scientist with Water New South Wales. Welcome, Joe. How are you? Carp are yet another introduced species that's run wild. Um, in fact, in many lakes and rivers, is it true to say they make up 90% of the animal biomass? Yes, that's true. Um, uh, they've, they're, they're pretty much the... Um, the most dominant fish species within our waterways, in our freshwater waterways, and that's because they're real survivors. They can tolerate extremes in water quality and they're quite prolific in breeding. So a, a three kilo female can produce up to three million eggs. So if you've got a hundred females, well, that's a lot of eggs. Um, uh, they're able to eat a variety of foods and they can pretty much survive on, on zero diet for quite a long time. So they can go through those periods where there's a drought or there's not much food source. So yeah, they're, they're real survivors. God, it's disturbing, isn't it? And, and lots of effort has been put into coming up with solutions for them without much effect so far. In recent years, there's been a lot of buzz about the idea of using a biological control agent. It's a spe- species-specific variant of the herpes virus. What would happen, though, if such a virus was used in the wild? That's what you set out to discover, didn't you? Yeah, well, we wanted to look at what would happen to... Um, post-virus release. So once the virus has been released on the fish, the whole idea of the virus is that it would kill the fish. So if there was no cleanup, what would happen to the water quality with all those dead fish in there? So we ran experiments at different levels of dead fish. So starting from a quite a low level of 250 kilos per hectare up to about 6,000 kilos per hectare. Um, and uh, we wanted to see how the water quality would change and how rapidly it would change. So we looked at things such as the dissolved oxygen in the water, because dissolved oxygen in water is as, as critical as life as it is for us. Um, and we wanted to look at the bacteria and what sort of changes were, there were in the bacterial community. Were there any potentially nasty bacteria, such as salmonella or botulism? Um, and then we wanted to see with all that available nutrients that would be potentially released, whether there would be an, an algal increase and what sort of algae would dominate. Would it be cyanobacteria, which could be potentially toxic, or would it just be benign bacteria such as green algae? And you did this in a controlled environment, didn't you? Yes, what we did was we had these small tanks, uh, probably about two metres in diameter, and we placed them in the reservoir. Um, so we used the same water, the same temperature, everything was the same, but they're only a small size, and we, we replicated each treatment four times. So we'd have four with no carp, four with a small number of carp, and four with a a larger number of carp to see exactly what would happen all at the same time. And what did happen? Well, um, we did get a drop in dissolved oxygen in all the treatments, um, and then that was followed by a bacterial increase in all the treatments, as well as a nutrient and an algal increase. And it was pretty much relative. So the more carp you had in there, the bigger the algal response. And the more carp that you had in there, the longer the time period. So it was a longer period with low oxygen, a longer period with bacteria, and a longer period with algae at the end too. And none of those results are good news. They're not if you look at them from, at the, uh, from the experiment side, but you have to remember that 
all lakes are different and it's just like a glass of water. Lakes can be different depending on the volume. So you might have the same surface area, but some of them are deeper. Now our mesocosms or little tanks that we did were a fixed size. So what we have to do with those results is dilute them down or concentrate them up depending on the size of the lake. So for an example, a drinking water reservoir like Warragamba, we'd have to dilute the results down by 80 times, which is quite a lot. But the next phase of um, our research is, okay, we know what happens at different biomasses. What are the biomasses in the actual lakes? Because that's still unknown. And we've just done some preliminary studies in Warragamba. Obviously that's our main concern because it's a drinking water reservoir. And uh, that's shown thankfully that the levels of carp are actually quite low oh. and, and, and probably below the lowest level of treatment that we did. So that's good. That's not saying that in, in smaller ponds, say like in metropolitan areas where you have, you know, there's the, like little wetlands in parks and so on. In those areas, um, in the past, we've had numbers up between 600 to 1,000 kilos per hectare. So that's, and that's in the higher range. And not only that, but those ponds are a lot more closely related to our mesocosms in, in, in that the, the surface area and the volume ratio is about the same. Right, so that kind of 90% biomass figure that we were talking about at the beginning, that applies to some waterways but not all of them. Yes, well, yeah, you're right. It is it, Even in Warragamba, carp still make up to um, probably 70% of the biomass in Warragamba, but because it's such a deep lake, fish usually don't live in the deeper waters so there's a lot of water which is kind of void of any fish because there's nothing for them to eat down there they tend to live in the surface area so they're still they're still up there in Warragamba but there's just not that many fish in Warragamba. Your research paper concluded that if this kind of virus was to be released leading to the large scale kills removing the dead fish would be absolutely critical to maintaining the water quality how realistic would that removal be in something like a river system? It wouldn't be that easy. Um, in a lake system, it's quite easy because obviously you can get a boat into there, you can get crews into there. But the National Carp Control Plan are looking at all of this. They're not just they're ju not just looking at the water quality, but they're looking at the cleanup strategy. They're looking at what to do with the fish once they've been removed, and they haven't actually said that. Um, they're going ahead with the project. In other words, first they want to do the research to make sure that it's possible, and then they can go back to the government and say, well, if we were to do it, this is how we do it, and this is how much it's going to cost. So in saying that, in saying that, carp really are a problem to uh, ecosystems within our water bodies, and um, I'm really glad that they are looking into potential ways to reduce the numbers. Yes, absolutely. Well, as you say, you know, nothing is certain yet. There is no specific plan to go ahead with it, but scientists have previously been concerned enough to have spoken out publicly about it in some cases, um, talking about the potential use of the herpes virus, warning about catastrophic ecosystem crashes, and uh, public health expert Professor Simon Chapman published an opinion piece. He compared the plan to the release of the cane toad, which was of course brought into Australia as a pest control method that went horribly wrong. So what's your view on that? concern about the plan? I think he might have it the wrong way around because um, in this case carp are actually the cane toad and if if we had a virus that could remove cane toads I'm sure we'd be looking into it right now. There is the issue that there will be some potential water quality concerns but I um, mean if we don't do anything about this there is always a potential that it could be released accidentally or deliberately. Now there are um, Koi farmers, and we even found on a, on a koi blog 
where someone is talking about someone illegally bringing in fish from Japan and um, potentially have already brought the virus in. So we have to be prepared for the, for the eventuality that the virus might actually get here anyway. So I'd rather be in a scenario where we know what the impacts are and we know how to deal with them rather than being unsure about that. So. Absolutely. Are there other potential avenues for dealing with carp that you think are more promising or in your view is this the most promising? They have trialled a few different areas such as uh, they already do um, commercial fishing of carp to try to re reduce the numbers um, but it's it's quite it, I guess whenever you're doing anything commercially you don't want to completely exploit your resource otherwise you've got a short-term business so it's not in their interest I guess to remove all the carp um, and uh, they, I think it's basically, they, they are trying to manage it, but in reality, it's such a large scale problem that it's very hard to have, unless you have extensive resources to actually fund it. It's quite expensive. Mm, absolutely. And what for you now uh, in this research area? Are, have you got more projects coming up? Yeah, we have. The, the next phase is for us, in particular in our Water New South Wales reservoirs, is to get a good understanding of what the biomass is in other reservoirs. So we're working with New South Wales Fisheries and they'll be doing um, fish surveys in these reservoirs as well we're also using a couple of techniques to determine this. We're using electrofishing, netting and using sonar. Uh, sonar is one that we've developed ourselves and um, I'm doing that in conjunction with uh, University of Technology Sydney. And uh, we're, we're trying to get a really good understanding of which reservoirs have high numbers, which ones have low numbers and then we can prioritise with the National Carp Control Plan and say well that one's potentially a concern or that might come back that there aren't high numbers in reservoirs and our research is kind of leaning that way that the bigger the reservoir, the less the biomass of carp. There's still a lot of carp there, but just not as many as in smaller ones. Are you hopeful that the problem will be resolved? And if so, what kind of timescale do you think we're talking about? Um, it's, it'll be a long-term thing. I mean, obviously they're not ready to release the virus yet because they haven't finished all their research. Um, but if they were to, um, we're probably going, it, it, they'd probably start from the lower end of the Murray-Darling and then work their way up. That way they can at least control the, um, the amount of dead fish they have to deal with and sort of ease their way up to different weirs. So I would think that it would take at least a couple of years for them to, to fully implement the, um, the, the virus. Right. Oh, well, I guess we just have to watch and wait. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Joe. Not a problem, thank you. That's been Joe Perra, Water Quality Scientist for Water New South Wales. Thanks for listening.